This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, I received quite a few notes from listeners telling me their favorite show is heard here on Theater of the Mind. Almost in every case, Gunsmoke is singled out as a program that folks just can't get enough of. In the late 1940s, CBS chairman William S. Paley, a fan of the Philip Marlowe radio serial, asked his programming chief, Hubble Robinson, to develop a hard-boiled Western series, a show about a Philip Marlowe of the Old West. After many delays, the project was finally in the hands of producer Norman MacDonald and writer John Meston. They wanted to create a radio western for adults, in contrast to the prevailing juvenile fare, such as The Lone Ranger and The Cisco Kid. Gunsmoke was set in Dodge City, Kansas, during the thriving cattle days of the 1870s. The show drew critical acclaim for unprecedented realism. Now, tonight's episode, it's entitled The Botten Bride. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. It had been some time since we'd had any real trouble. Anything more than throwing a few juiced-up cowboys in jail to sober up for a few hours. And I liked it peaceful for a change, and I hoped it would stay that way. Well, that morning I'd gone to take a few catfish out of the Arkansas. When I got back to the office, I found a note from Chester saying he's at the Alafraganza having a beer. Hello, John. Over here, Mr. Dillon. Any luck, sir? No, oh, about a dozen, Chester. We'll have them for supper. No, that'll be fine. Oh, I, I've been telling Mr. Carter here about you, Mr. Dillon. Mr. Carter? Robert P. Carter. How do you do, Marshal? Hello, how are you? Buy you a drink? Well, thank you. Yes, I believe I will. I uh, think I'll have a beer. Bartender? 
A beer. Yes, Mr. Sir. Carter came in on the stage from Denver last Saturday. Oh, you live in Denver, Mr. Carter? Oh, heavens no. New York, Marshal. I've only been west a few months, investing money in gold mines and cattle and the like. Mr. Carter's very rich. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, Chester, I will be if Mother Nature holds out. His girl is coming in on the stage today, Mr. Dillon. Oh, is that so? My fiancé, Marshal. He met her in Denver, but she couldn't get ready in time to come here when he did. Ah, I see. I had to come ahead on business. Couldn't wait. We'll take the Santa Fe to St. Louis from here. They're going to be married in St. Louis, Mr. Dillon. Wow. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but is the stage always this late? He's worried, Mr. Dillon, with his girl on stage and all. <laughs> It'll be a long, Mr. Carter. You talking about the stage? Oh, hello, Shiloh. Shiloh says he's been sitting there by himself all morning, Mr. Dillon. Since last night, Chester. You know something about the stage, Shiloh? Only that it's carrying 50000 in gold out of Leadville. So? Well, maybe that's why it's late. What do you mean, man? Well, if somebody wanted that gold, they'd have to stop the stage long enough to get it unloaded, wouldn't they? Bandits. He means bandits. Now, now hold it, Mr. Carter. You're already bleeding that nobody's shot you yet. Uh, what? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Just take it easy. The stage will get here, all right. It's often a little late. But this man says it might have been held up. Why, there may have been a shooting. Well, now, now, he's just daydreaming. That's all. Wait, wait a minute. Listen. Huh? Well, there it is now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> See, Mr. Carter, there was nothing to worry about. It got here all right. Yes. <laughs> Marshal! Hey, Marshal, come here. What is it, Jim? <laughs> got held up, Marshal. What? Lost 50,000 gold. Where'd this happen? About 20 miles back near Cottonwood Draw, but... Anybody shot? Another shot fired. He tricked it, but... Jane! Uh, Where's Jane? What? Driver! Where's the girl who was on this stage? What's happened to her? That's what I started to tell you, Marshal. There's a tree across the road. We got down to move it. This rider got the drop on us. He's all alone. Never mind all that. Where's the girl? He took the gold. Took the girl, too. What? He took Jane? You mean to tell me you let him take Jane? Well, now, mister, there weren't much choice. He held a shotgun on us. They're gone before we could do a thing. Oh, but this... This is impossible. Now, take it easy, Mr. Carter. We'll find them. You'll find them? You were off fishing when it happened. What kind of law is there around here, anyway? Easy, Mr. Carter. I took one of the team after, Marshal, but I couldn't get near him. He had an extra saddle horse with him. Put her on that. I see. But I don't think he planned on kidnapping that girl. Where it was, he just looked at her and told her to come along. Did you recognize him, Jim? No. No, his horses are both sorrels. By but... heaven, Marshal, you'd better get her back here at once, or I'll take this up with Washington. I'll see you disgraced. Shut up, Carter. Chester, go get our horses and a couple of rifles. I'll get a few more details from Jim here. Well, don't you want a posse, Mr. No, there'd be too much shooting around that girl. Now hurry, will you? Yes, sir, I'll hurry, Mr. Dillon. Mark my words. We'd better have Jane back here by nightfall, Marshal. You care to ride along, Mr. Carter? No. No, I, I'm, I'm not equipped for that sort of thing. I, I'll take care of matters at this end. Yeah. All right, now, Jim, now tell me first exactly what happened. Well, we just come down into the draw about 100 yards from the creek. blood-red sun was drooping over the edge of the prairie when Chester and I reached Cottonwood Draw. We rode hard until night fell, and then we had to stop and wait for daylight. But with morning, we drew a heavy rain that washed out every track. We rode on anyway, 
For the next three days, we scouted a big piece of that country. But it was hopeless. Finally, we headed back to Dodge. Empty-handed. Bartender, bring me a bottle, will you? Sure, Matt. Where is she, Marshal? Is she all right? Carter, I'm... I'm sorry. What? You mean you didn't find them? Rain washed out their trail first morning. We, we never picked it up again. They could be anywhere. You came back without her. We did what we could, Carter. Now we'll just have to wait for word of some kind. You'll be seen sooner or later. Wait. Well, I won't wait. This will cost you your job, Marshal. I promise you that. Look, Carter, if it'd make you feel better, why don't you ride out yourself? It isn't my job to keep the law around here, Marshal. It's yours. Yeah. <clears throat> Say, Marshal. <clears throat> yeah, what is it, Shiloh? Big Kate wanted to see you when you got back, asked me to tell you. Big Kate? All right, thank you. How'd you know, Kate? I can tell by looking at you. It's thousands and thousands of miles, that prairie. It'd been just luck if we'd found them. Nobody's blaming you, Matt. No. Hey, Carter is. And I suppose it's hard on him. His fiancée and all that. Carter's no good, Matt. Well, I never liked him, but I suppose that doesn't matter. And I'll tell you why he's no good. Do you know something, Kate? Hmm. Carter's been drunk a lot while you were out. He was bragging to one of the girls last night. Bragging? What? About what? Not much, to my way of thinking. Well, go on. Well, to make it short, seems Jane's father got into a big deal with Carter up in Denver. Yeah. Carter got him tied up good and then threatened to ruin him. Well, well, so what happened? He didn't ruin him. He took Jane instead. Yeah. Well, maybe she likes him. <laughs> you don't know much about women, do you, Matt? You think a boughten bride is likely to be in love with a man? So that's what I have to bring her back to. Well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> what can I do, Kate? Just have to wait and see what turns up. <laughs> I waited. I waited a week. Carter was drunk the whole time, telling everybody how he was going to fix me good. I'm not doing much about it, except stay out of my way. And things were fairly quiet. Chester and I spent most of our time in the office. Well, he sure fooled me, Mr. Dillon. Now, Carter? Yes, sir. He seemed like such a nice fella. And so rich. He's rich, all right. But poor in spirit. You've been going to church again, Chester. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon, last Sunday. Oh, last Sunday. Uh, didn't it uh, rain last Sunday? Oh, I like church, Mr. Dillon. But I sure do hate to get all dressed up. <laughs> you 
you the marshal? Yeah, I am. Here you've been looking for a man and a woman. You know anything, mister? My name's Chad Brown. Just rode in from Satana. Yeah? There was a man and a woman about 80 miles back on the trail. What color horses were they on? Well, as soon as they saw me, they rode off, so I didn't get very close. But both horses were the same color. I guess maybe so. Are you willing to ride back with me, Mr. Brown? I don't know, Marshal. I've got an awful thirst. That woman's out there against her will. I'll go. I'll get our horses. Uh, No, 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 Chester. Uh, Be better if you wait here this time. We'll be back in a few days. With luck. Let's go, Mr. Brown. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, Frank Fontaine now brings you comedy with four members of the Frank Fontaine family, guest stars, and a delightful cast of entertainers. Sunday nights on CBS Radio. Listen in for the Frank Fontaine Show tomorrow night. It's refreshing summer listening. So, just for fun, try the Frank Fontaine Show tomorrow night on CBS Radio. Now, the second act. Of gun smoke. Chad Brown and I covered the 80 miles in a day and a half. The outlaw's trail headed south for a few miles and then turned northeast back in the general direction of Dodge. It was hot and still. On the horizon, there were occasional flashes of heat lightning. And then in the distance, we saw the long, low cloud of yellow dust that spelled cattle. A Texas herd trailing north. The kidnappers' tracks led straight into it, and an hour later, we pulled up not far from the swing of the herd. A line of long horns stretched for several miles across our trail. We watched him, looking for a lag to ride through. All of a sudden, a rider came hallooing down on us. Hold up! Hold up there! Oh! Oh, oh! You ain't aiming to cross that herd, are you? Have you seen anything of a man and a woman around here, mister? Was they mounted? Yeah, a couple of sorrels. It don't matter. I ain't seen nothing but cattle and cowboys for six weeks. Besides, these cattle are plenty uneasy. They've been dry since yesterday morning. And that heat lightning ain't soothing to them. This herd's crossed the trail of an outlaw and a kidnapped woman, mister. That's so. Well, you just have to wait. You can ride around a drog back there. But you can't cut through this herd, mister. Look, I'm a U.S. Marshal out of Dodge, and I haven't got any time to waste. You think we well, can... Well, I must... sure appreciate your problem, Marshal, but I can't help you. I'm trail boss of this outfit, and I got 3,000 head of cattle here worth maybe $20 a head at Dodge. They're too nervy now, and I sure can't chance you're touching them off by riding through there. I guess he's right, Marshal. Should be pretty risky from the look of them. They're moving too fast now. Yeah, I know. Just that I hate to lose the time. You got more time than I got cattle, Marshal. Well, I don't know about that. But I won't tempt the stampede, mister. We'll ride around the drag. We'll see you in Dodge. 
The Alifragansa still running? Yeah, it is. Mostly on Texas money. Adios. We rode down along the herd and back up the other side, about a four-mile detour. But we picked up the trail again and followed it till dark. Next morning, we found the outlaw still headed straight for Dodge, and all we could figure was that he must be new to the country and just plain lost. Naturally, he wanted to avoid asking questions of anybody. By noon, we were in sight of town, and during the last hour, neither Brown nor I said a word. Finally, we rode up Front Street and got down at the jail. got him, Mr. Dillon. They rode right in here early this morning. Gave himself up, huh? Yes, sir. I got the man locked up in back, and the money is over at the bank. Oh, good. How's the girl, Chester? Oh, she's fine. A little tired, but fine. Yeah. Well, what's his story? Who is he? He calls himself Scott Cooley, but he won't say anything more at all, Mr. Dillon. I, I just gave up on him. I thought I'd better wait for you. Yeah, all right. I'll talk to him first, and then I want to see the girl. Where is she? I didn't like it, Mr. Dillon, but I didn't see what I could rightly do about it. What do you mean? What happened? Well, she sure didn't want to go with him, but that Mr. Carter came here and just the same as dragged her off. She went finally, but I sure don't like it. Well, they didn't leave Dodge, did they? Oh, no, sir. There's no train till tomorrow there at the hotel. Oh, all right. I'll go over there later, Chester. Yeah, so you're Scott Cooley, huh? You're new around here, aren't you? Well, anyways, I never saw you before, Marshal. Well, I've tried hard enough to meet up with you, Cooley. You're in trouble, you know, bad trouble. Marshal, you've got anything to say, just say it right out. I got nothing to say. I'm just curious why you rode into Dodge, that's all. What do you care? I'm here. You got the money back and... Uh, and What? Oh, leave me alone, Marshal. Just leave me alone. You gotta talk sometime. Now listen, Marshal. I'm ready to serve my time. That's why I gave myself up. But talk, no. I don't have to talk. Not for you. Not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. All right, Cooley. Have it your way. Marshal. Yeah. Marshal, you you're going to See Jane? Yeah. Why? What are you going to see her about? Find out what happened? Yeah. Marshal, I don't suppose you'd let me out of here just long enough to kill Carter. Now, you mean the girl told you about it? I wouldn't care if I hanged for it. It'd be worth it to kill him. Mm -hmm. Tell me something. What makes you think what you did's any better? What? Well, you wouldn't understand, Marshal. But you... Uh, you do what you can for her, will you? Anything else you want to tell me? No. That's all.
is it? Matt Dillon. What do you want? Open the door, Carter. I want to talk to the girl. Some other time, Marshal. You want me to kick the door open? You're asking for trouble, Carter. Uh, how do you do, miss? I'm Marshal Dillon. How do you do, Marshal? I, uh, I know you've been through a lot, miss, but I have to get the whole story from you so as I can file the proper charges against this outlaw, Scott Cooley. You want to use me to put him in prison? Is that it? Well, he's committed two crimes, robbery and kidnapping. We'll want him up for both. Well, doesn't the fact that he gave himself up and... And return the money help at all? Uh, I'm afraid I don't gather your drift. Then let it go at that, Marshal. We're leaving Dodge on the next train. So Jane won't be here to testify anyway. No? Is that what you have in mind, Jane? No. I mean, I don't know. Oh, please. She's upset enough, Marshal. Leave her alone. If I want anything out of you, Carter, I'll knock it out. Now shut up. You can't talk to me like that. Wait. Marshal, I'll... I'll tell you all about it, but first... Yeah? Well, not in front of him. Make him go out, and then I'll tell you. All right, Carter. Outside. Don't you order me around. This is my room. And... I'll throw you. If I open the door and find you around, I'll throw you all the way downstairs. Now get it! All right, now. Jane, you can talk. Can I trust you, Marshal? Really trust you? Well, that's up to you. But I'll tell you this. I know about Carter. About you and Carter, that is. Then you... You know how I hate him. Yeah? But right now, I'm curious about this kidnapping. What happened? Why did Cooley give himself up? Because we decided we... We couldn't live being hunted down the rest of our lives. Ah, so you were in on it with him, huh? No, Marshal. The first time I ever saw Scott Cooley was when he held up the stage. I'd like to believe that. Well, very simple, Marshal. I love Scott Cooley. What? I love him. Oh, now look, Jane. Girls like you just don't go around falling in love with outlaws. Don't they, Marshal? No, they don't. I did. Then either you're crazy or you're lying to me. And if you weren't a woman, I'd throw you in jail right along with him. I'm a woman, Marshal, but I've no objection to going to jail with Scott. Oh, then you admit you're his accomplice. No. I suppose it's hard for you to understand, Marshal. It is. Uh, I'll try to make it simple. You see, Scott doesn't know why he took me with him when he held up the stage. He's never done anything like that before. It just seemed perfectly natural to him. He saw something he wanted, and he took it. That's all. I'm afraid the court will look at it somewhat differently. Well, I, I suppose he'll go to prison for the holdup, but, but not for kidnapping. Why not? Because I'll testify that I went with him of my own free will. I almost wish you two hadn't ridden back to Dodge. Marshal. Yeah. You said you know about Bob Carter and me. Yeah? Well, Scott's been wild, and, and he's done wrong, but but he's never done anything really evil. Well, maybe you're better off with Cooley. If he straightens out. You know I am. Don't you, Marshal? 
It's no business of mine. I, I'm a peace officer and not a matchmaker. My job's to keep Cooley under arrest and get him up for trial, and that's all. Now, what you do is your own business. You can testify any way you like. I, I can't stop that. Oh, please. Marshal, help me. There's no one else who can. Yeah, who is it? It's Carter. Open this door. Huh. Well, gentlemen, there are four of us here, Marshal. We figure you've talked to Jane long enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have, Mr. Carter. You're leaving. Yeah. Yeah, we're leaving. Are you ready, Jane? Oh, thank you, Marshal. Yes, I'm ready. Jane isn't going with you. I've just put her under arrest. Under arrest? I arrest anybody I think needs arresting, Mr. Carter, and I'm not in the habit of explaining why. There's a law about that, You're in Dodge, Mr. Carter. Come along, Jane. You can't do this, Dylan. We won't stand for it. Ah, you're a fool, Carter. I know these three bums you got with you, and they don't want to draw on me any more than you do. You fed them some liquor and promised them more. For that, they'll do anything, anything but face me in a gunfight. Am I right, boys? Huh? Well, I take it I am. All right, now get out of my way. Huh? You go first, Jane. You stay here, Jane. Take your hands off her. <laughs> Just step over him, Jane. I don't like to say anything. Well, then don't, Chester. But I can't help it, Mr. Dillon. This is the first time you've ever jailed a woman, and I just don't like it. <laughs> Good. What? I don't like it either, Chester. What's this all about, Mr. Dillon? Chester, Jane and Cooley are in love. My... Don't look so dewy-eyed about it. Cooley's got to stand trial yet, you know. I want no part of this, Marshal. Now what, Shiloh? I never did like that, Carter. Well, what's he up to? Oh, sir, he's drunk and he's buying liquor for everyone. He's making a lot of talk. There's about 20 men with him now. Where? Texas Trail. Nobody likes it about this girl. Looks like they'll come over here and try to bust her out of jail. Uh... Chester. Yes, sir? Those horses still out back. Yes, sir. I was going to put them away later. No, leave them. Leave them. Uh, now, will you get over to the Texas Trail and stall those men for a while? Huh? All right, Mr. Dillon. Come on, child. Not me. I'm going to bed. I got two drunk last night. the word get up. Coley? Mm -hmm. Come on up. What is this? Just Marshall? hurry it up, will you? Let's go, Jane. Oh, no, no. Stay where you are, Jane. I don't You'll like do what this. I tell you, Cooley. It's all right, Scott. We can trust him. Yeah, but I don't know what he's Scott. got. Well. All right, Jane, if you say so. All right, now I'll back. Here, that way. Now, come on, let's move. 
All right, you take the gray horse, Jane. He's gentle enough. But hurry, will you? Sir, come here. Come on, boy. Where are we going, Marshal? We're going to Hayes City. Cooley's going to stand trial there. Yeah. They got the money back, Scott. They can't do much to you. I know. But there's that, that kidnapping, too. I won't testify. That's all. Jane, you're going to have to testify. You'll be in contempt of court if you refuse. Then I'll lie. Anyway, I did go of my own free will. After a while, anyway. That's perjury. But you don't have to do that either. There's an easier way. How? Well, before I deposit Cooley in the Hayes City Jail, we might just make a little stop. What do you mean, Marshal? Stop where? We, uh, we're going to stop at the preacher's. You know, a married woman can't testify against her husband. Scott. Scott. <laughs> Come on, honey, let's ride. Gunsmoke. Transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in tonight's cast were John Stevenson, Larry Dobkin, and Patricia Walter, with Mary Lansing, Herb Ellis, Jonathan Hole, Jim Nusser, and Frank Gerstle. Parley Bear is Chester. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Let me take you back to 1944 for one of the most popular shows on radio, The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Wheaton and Sam Moore, music by Claude Sweet. Join our friend, the great Gildersleeve. It's a bright, snappy Saturday morning in October, the kind of a day that's supposed to make a man feel like working. And as Gildersleeve stands in his front parlor, smoking his after-breakfast cigar, he glances out of the window, and sure enough, he sees a task. Leroy, I thought I told you to rake up those leaves. Didn't I? You didn't say when to rake them. I suppose you want to wait till they're covered with snow. 
The leaves must be raked now, Leroy. Today. Today? Today is Saturday. Why can't I do them Monday afternoon, huh? First thing Monday afternoon. Because I want them done today. I don't see why they couldn't wait till Monday. Don't argue, my boy. You haven't a single thing to do all day today. It's my day off. Can't I wait till Monday? No. You started them Wednesday, but you didn't finish. You must learn to concentrate, my boy. Buckle down. Do a job right. Finish it up. Could you help me, Unc? Between us, we could finish it up in a hurry. Uh, I'm busy, Leroy. Oh, you're just sitting around. I am not sitting around. I'm worrying about finding some kind of work so I can support you and Marjorie. I wish all I had to do was worry. What did you say, Leroy? <laughs> Nothing. Well, get at those leaves and right now. Oh, before you start, did you clean up your room this morning? Oh, sure, I, I cleaned it. Will it bear inspection, Leroy? Well, gosh, if you're going to go over it with a magnifying glass... Never mind that. Did you make your bed? Now, how do you suppose I could have forgotten that? <laughs> Confound it, Leroy. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I looked at your room yesterday, and it was a regular pigsty. How can you stand to live in it? I don't know. I'm just naturally sloppy, I guess. <laughs> oink, oink. And don't be so smart, young man, or I'll make you smart. In a certain place. Understand? Oh, oh sure. Now go upstairs and do your room at once. So it can stand inspection. Okay. Fine way to spend Saturday. Leroy, have you done your practicing? Leroy. What did you say, young? Have you practiced your piano? Some. Some. I pay good money for those lessons, young man. You get over to that piano and start practicing right now. What about my room? Practice the piano. What about the leaves? Practice the piano. Sit down on that bench and don't get off of it for two hours. Gosh, I'll be working all day Sunday, too. I won't have any fun at all. What's Leroy beefing about now? Marjorie, have you done your room this morning? Oh, yes, Uncle Morris. Oh, good girl. Make your bed? Of course, I always do. Leroy, why can't you be more like your sister? Ah, she makes me sick. Now, well, young man, we're all supposed to do our part around here. Excuse me, Mr. Gill, please. Have you made your bed, Bertie? Uh... <laughs> I mean, uh, what is it? Miss Marjorie, those curtains from your room have been sitting in my laundry tub for three days. I can't do my laundry till you get them out of there. Marjorie? <laughs> Miss Perfect. Leroy, practice the piano. Ha, 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 Mr. Smarty Pants. And you go wash those curtains, young lady. By George, we're going to have some new work habits around here. When we start something, we're going to finish it. We've got to learn to concentrate. I don't hear you counting, Leroy. I can't count and play at the same time, Unc. Well, try. Four and one and two and three and four. That's wrong, Leroy. I told you I can't count and play at the same time. I bet nobody can. All the great pianists know how to count, Leroy. Well, they don't count so you can hear them. <laughs> you remember when you took me to hear that guy and we sat in the front row? He never counted once. I was watching him. He doesn't have to count anymore, but he knows how. Now, stop arguing. Count to yourself if you want to. Okay. Play it right, my boy. I'm trying to. That's the spirit. You're not trying, Leroy. I am, huh? Well, don't make the very same mistake every time. <laughs> Well, this is a tough piece, and I'm just starting 
it besides. Oh, well, it's going to sound very nice when you've learned it. I wonder when that will be. <laughs> That's the boy. Oh! <laughs> For goodness sake, Leroy, go back and play it right. Do I have to start at the beginning? No, 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 just go back a little way. Okay. Leroy, you're not concentrating. Maybe I haven't got any talent, huh? You learn to play whether you got talent or not. <laughs> Trouble is, you don't practice enough. Now, when I... Uh -huh. No, you won't. You'll sit right where you are and keep practicing. Well, good morning, Gilly. Oh, for a good morning, Judge. Come on in. Well, Leroy practicing. Very pretty. Boy plays nicely. Yeah. <laughs> that shows how much you know, Judge. What's on your alleged mind? Not a thing, Gilly. Not a thing. Can't an old friend just drop in without having something on his mind? He can, but he doesn't. <laughs> If you come over here again to pry into matters of my employment, Judge... Well, I haven't, but now that you bring it up... It why... may interest you to know that I'm considering a number of possibilities. Oh, you've been saying that for weeks. What about uh, Nelson Humpstone? Did you get anywhere with him? Humpstone? He's nothing but a four-flusher. They're closing down the factory, Judge. I wasn't interested in that job anyway. I have another idea now. That's the trouble with you, Throckmorton. You never stick to anything. Dagnabbit, I don't believe you know how to concentrate. Leroy! Concentrate. I mean, keep your mind on your work. I could go out now if you and the judge want to talk. You get right back to that piano. We'll go into my study. Come on, Horace. You're always opening your big mouth. Sit down, Judge. Have a cigar? Mm, not so soon after breakfast, thank you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Horace, the more I think of it, the more I miss my old job at the waterworks. That wasn't a bad job. It's gone now. Water over the dam. Mayor Terwilliger should be indicted, appointing his own cousin as water commissioner. Let's not judge him hastily, Gildy. McCarthy may be a very good man. Not if he's a relative of the mayor. Any relation of Terwilliger's would be an incompetent in public office. Point is, Gildy, that he's in public office and you're not. Yeah. Oh, come in. Yes, the mail just came, Mr. Gildy. Quite a lot of it, but nothing very good. Oh, the mail. Thank you, Bertie. You're welcome. <laughs> Now, Gildy, we've got to look this job situation in the face. Uh, pardon me, Horace, while I look this mail in the face. Doggone it, Gildy, there you go again. Can't you keep your mind on anything? Uh-oh. Here's a note from Nelson Humpstone, Judge. Huh? Uh, <laughs> well, listen to this. Dear Gildersleeve, I'm flying back to the home office of International Bolt and Screw for a couple of days on very short notice, and it looks like they're planning to convert to civilian production instead of closing down here. So don't make any commitments till you hear from me. I'll call you from Detroit as soon as I can. Nuff said. Nelson Humpstone. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. Fine fellow, that Humpstone. Nuff said. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> well, Gildy, I must say that sounds very promising, very hopeful. Oh, Humpstone's a big man, Judge. What did I tell you? He isn't talking about any two-for-nickel proposition. He might want an assistant manager or a sort of an associate manager. Maybe you'll want me to come in there to the home office, talk things over with the big shots. I don't know about that. What else would he be phoning me from Detroit? I ought to be ready to leave in a minute's notice. I wonder if I could get a plane priority. I think you're working a little fast, Gildy. That's the way to get things done, Judge. I suppose Humpy could take care of my hotel reservations. Oh, for goodness sake, you're talking just like uh, a... Come in. Uh, what is it, Bertie? Mr. Gilsey, the water stopped running and all the faucets in the house, nothing comes out. What? The water's off? <laughs> I'll bet the pump's busted, yeah. And the snifter valve must be off all over town. 
By George, I've been waiting for this moment. Let's call up the mayor's cousin and complain, Judge. What's his name now? Oh, now, Gildy, have a heart. His name's McCarthy. <laughs> Let me look at that telephone. I'll pin his ears back. I'll blast him. No. No, I know something better, Judge. I'll call him up at his house at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to our story. Only a few minutes have passed, but Gildersleeve's household is as busy as a beehive. Anticipating an urgent call from Detroit, he's stationed Bertie near the phone to grab it, and he's assigned Marjorie to run upstairs and pack an overnight bag for him in case he has to leave town on short notice. The great man himself is in the living room, pacing up and down the rug, and turning over in his mind such important matters as plain priorities and what salary he should demand. And through it all, Little Leroy, like the young Mozart, plugs doggedly away at his music. Leroy, read the notes. Read the notes. I am. You are not. Well, you can see for yourself. It says here. Don't tell me what it says. Play it. He gods. Oh, Lord. Yes, Marjorie? How long will you be gone? How do I know? I haven't heard from Humpstone yet. I'm still waiting for the call. Well, how many shirts do you want me to pack? And how many what? How many shirts will you need? Well, that depends on how long I'll be gone. Yeah. I told you I don't know. Don't ask foolish questions. Just pack some shirts, that's all. Ye gods, let's keep our heads around here. <laughs> oh, there's the phone, Bertie. Grab it. I got it. You please, President. Uh, let me have it, Bertie. Yes, ma'am, he is. Just a second. Leroy, stop pounding that piano. How can I hear? Hello, Throckmorton P. Gillisleeve speaking. Uh, it was what? Water. I'm not the water commissioner, lady. Don't bother me with it. The idea of calling me about it. Doesn't she read the newspapers? Pam, can I stop now? I told you, Leroy. I want you to stick at that piece till you master it. I have. I said master, not massacre. <laughs> oh, for corn's sake. Yes, yes. Uncle Mort, do you want me to pack your razor? What's that? Razor? Oh, yes. Uh, Bertie, remind me to get some razor blades before I leave, will you? I'm all out. I will if I can remember. Leroy, maybe you better remind me. What's that? Remind Bertie, Leroy, to remind me to get some razor blades before I go. Ye gods, how can a man practice his music with people interrupting him all the time? I give up. I'm going out. Come back here, young man. Okay. Oh, Mr. Gilsey. Yes, I've got it, Bertie. Yeah, hold it, Leroy. Hello, Throckmorton Peaket. Yes, I'm the water commissioner. I mean, no, I'm not. What is this? Why are people calling me? I don't care if their line is busy. Don't call me about it. It's no business of mine. This is getting to be a darn nuisance. Here, I'm waiting for an important call. Honk! Yes? Make up your mind, will you? Do you want me to practice or don't you? Uh, just study the notes for a little while, Leroy. Uh, study them quietly and don't make any noise. Hello? Yes, this is Commissioner Gilsey's residence. If it's about the water, Bertie, tell him I'm not at home, and I'm not the commissioner. Mr. Gilsey says if it's about the water, he ain't commissioner, and he ain't at home. Wait a minute, Bertie. That wasn't long distance, was it? No, sir, that was Miss Pettibone. <sighs> well, what do I care? Any more of these calls come, Bertie. Tell him I'm not at home. You understand? Yes, sir. Tell him I left home two weeks ago, and I haven't been seen since. Yes, sir. Tell him, for all you know, Bertie, I'm dead. I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, 
it, bud. George, this is too much. Let me handle it, Bertie. Hello. Now, listen, bud. I've got nothing to do with the water department. I don't care. If you don't like the way things are being run, call up the commissioner. Call up the mayor. Call up Eisenhower, but don't bother me. No. Hello. No. Get off the line, will you, brother? I want to speak to the operator. Operator. This is Throckmorton P. Gillersleeve speaking. Never mind my number. I want to make a complaint. I'm expecting a very important call. I'm being flooded here with calls for the water department, with which I no longer have any connection. I want you to... Listen, sister, you don't have to tell me there's a war on. I want something done about it, and right away. Do you understand? Oh, you can't, eh? Oh, you can't. Well, I'll do something about it, and right now, confound it. Mr. Gilfrey, you busted! You darn right, I'll bust it! Let him come. I'm ready for him. Mr. Hammond, what's going on here? I'll just pull the phone out by the roots. <laughs> yes, and I'll do it again. They can fire me out of the water department. They can put an incompetent in my place. But I'll be go to Blazers if I'll take his phone calls. Let him ring me now. <laughs> go ahead and ring. But, Uncle Mort, what about Mr. Humpstone? If he tries to call you now... Humpstone? Oh, why didn't somebody stop me? Why did you deliberately stand there, Marjorie, and let... Oh, my goodness, I've got to do something. Humpstone might be trying to call me right now, all the way from Detroit. I'll run over to Mrs. Ransom's and phone the call company. I mean, call the company... Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness... Leela! Mommy! Yeah, and so is Christmas. Leela! Oh, it's you, Throckmorton. No gracious, everything's happening at once here. The phone's ringing. Now sit down and make yourself at home, won't you, while I answer? I was just going to ask you if I could use it. Oh, me, it's just as soon as I answer this. Oh. Hello? Yes, who's this? Oh, I couldn't guess. Oh, guess. <laughs> I couldn't. Where? Is it Walter? Who's Walter? Is it, uh, King? Not King. Well, let me see now. Leela, I'm expecting a telephone uh, call. It's very important. If you could hurry it up. I know. Poochie. It, poochie. <laughs> no? Well, I just simply give up then. Who is he? Oh, oh you. I might have known. Come on, come on, Leela. No, nothing. Just sitting here. Leela, my phone call. It's urgent. Oh, for goodness sake. No, tell me. This could go on for years, Leela. Excuse me, Throckmorton, please. Yeah, who is it? Wouldn't you like to know? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just getting comfortable. Go ahead. Oh, for the love of Mike. Silly, of course I'm alone. Look, no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, I declare anyone would think you were jealous. Leela, excuse me, but i got to interrupt for a minute. Uh, excuse me again, just a second. Couldn't you ask him to call back later or something? But I've only just met him, Throckmorton. I don't know him well enough to be rude to him. Oh. <laughs> but my call is important. Well, I suppose you think this isn't important. All right, wait a minute. Do me a favor, then. When you get through, if you ever do, Leela, call the phone company and tell them my phone is out of order. Very well. Wait. When you've done that, call the long-distance operator and tell her I'm expecting a very important call from out of town. Yes. Tell her I'll be at PV's drugstore, Leela. Mm. Tell her to switch the call to me there. That's a good girl. Oh, Throckmorton, wait. Yeah? Who are you expecting a call from? Wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. Hello? Sorry about 
at the interruption, the plumber just arrived. <laughs> Hello, PB. You mind if I use your telephone? Not at all. That's what we're in business for. <laughs> Thank you. You'll find the phone right in the phone booth there. I don't need to use it this very minute. As a matter of fact, I'm waiting for a long-distance call from Detroit. Detroit? Yeah, I had them transferred here. Marvelous invention, the telephone. Marvelous. Yes, it is. Just to think, you can step into that little booth there and people hundreds of miles away can hear what you say. Marvelous. Yes, it is. There's just one thing wrong with it, though, I've noticed. Oh, what's that? Well, most people have nothing to say. Now you take Mrs. Peavy. Yeah? Mrs. Peavy's a fine woman. I admire her and I respect her. But when she gets on the phone there with some of her friends, I tell you, I have to go out and walk around the block. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Peavy. I get the same thing at home. Marjorie now. She's a pretty sensible girl, as girls go. Yeah, she is. But every afternoon, she's on the phone for hours with Francie. And there's more slush, more silly guff. All about some kid around town named Van Johnson. You ever see him around? No, I don't think I have. Neither have I. But to hear them talk, he must be some punkins. I overheard my own niece offering to die for him yesterday. <laughs> oh, telephone. That might be for me. Uh, do you want to take it, Mr. Gildersleeve, or shall I? Uh, you take it, Peavy. See who it's for. I don't trust that phone booth. It's too narrow. Standard phone booth. It, I know, but I got stuck in there once. I'm not taking any unnecessary chances. All right, I hear you. Can't you see I'm coming? Peavy's pharmacy. Why, yes, Leroy, he is. Yeah, just hold a wire. Leroy? Where's he phoning from? Didn't say. Here you are, Mr. Gildersleeve. Can you make it? If you get out of my way, I might. Oh, sorry. Uh, darn little hoop. Uh, couldn't you sort of lean into it, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> Wouldn't they have made it big enough in the first place? Standard phone goes. Standard. Hold on, Leroy. I'm coming. Hey, give me a shove, Peavy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Leroy. Where are you? Well, who's fixed the telephone? You did. Great. I mean, don't ever do that again, Leroy. You might get a shock. Bye, George. How'd you do it? Don't tell me now. I'll be right home, Leroy. I'll be right home. What do you know, PV? Leroy fixed the telephone. Was there something wrong with it? Was oh, there something wrong with it? <laughs> but he just hitched a couple of wires together or something I don't know By George, modern kids are wonderful <laughs> Maybe I'd better call the phone company And tell them to switch the call back there you Got a nickel, Mr. Gilson? I don't know, I'm wedged in so tight here I can't get my hand in my pocket, Peavy Yeah, let me put a nickel in for you Yes, thanks, Peavy mm. Dial the operator for me, will you? I can't reach that either <laughs> mm. Yeah, thanks Hello, operator? I want to report a telephone out of order uh, well, I don't know what caused it. It just went dead. <laughs> I mean, it went dead, but now it's all right again. So if you send anybody to fix it, don't bother. Marvelous invention, telephone. <laughs> operator, operator, wait a minute. I'm expecting a call here, long distance. I'd like to have it transferred. Gildersleeve. Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. The number here? 
Uh, what's the number here, Peavy? It's right on the dial there. I know, but I can't get far enough away to see it. Summerfield 34260. Oh, yeah, Summerfield 34260. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's where I am now, operator. But my home phone number is Summerfield 32371. Yeah, that's the one that was out of order, so I called you from another number. I mean, a friend did, to ask you to switch the call when it comes. Uh, here. Do you understand? Huh? I don't either, but I want it here now, and I, I want it at home. Yeah, I just told you, Summerfield 32371. Marvelous invention. <laughs> no, 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 operator, it's not out of order. Listen, operator, it's perfectly clear if you just listen. My phone was out of order, so I went... To... Oh, let it go, I'll be home before you get it straightened out. Just put the call through when it comes. Yes, I better be going. <clears throat> Confound it, Peavy, I'm stuck. Oh, no. Get me out of here, Peavy. Get me out. Oh, easy, guys. I've got to get home, Peavy. That call, I may be missing it. Get me out of here. Oh, no need to get panicky, Mr. Gildersleeve. We've been through all this before. <laughs> Just deflate. Huh? Let your breath out. Let it out. I haven't taken a breath since I got in here. <laughs> hey, hey, evidently, you've put on a little weight. No, I haven't put on any weight. Well, then it's been redistributed. You... <laughs> Stop talking, will you, Peavy? And do something. You got me in here. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, it's your fault anyway for having this thing around. Standard phone booth, Mr. Gildersleeve. Stop saying that. It's a booby trap. <laughs> well, <laughs> looks as if we caught one. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm out, Phoebe. I'm out and I'm off. If you ask me, you've been off for some time. goodness, it's long distance for Uncle Mort. Uh, just a minute, please. That's the call he's expecting. Well, where is he? Well, he said he was coming right home. Uh, hold the wire, please. What is it, Miss Marjorie? Bertie, it's a call for Uncle Mort, and I don't know what to tell them. Uh, run to the window, Leroy, and see if he's coming. Here, give me that, Miss Marjorie. I know what to tell him. But Bertie, I... Your just... uncle told me what to tell him. Hello? Here he is. Long distance, Uncle. I'm sorry. Mr. Gillsleeve ain't here. He ain't been around for two weeks. I expect he's probably dead. <laughs> Bertie! How's that for telling him, Mr. Gillsleeve? Bertie, that's a call I've been waiting all day for. Well, over the brakes, kid. <laughs> Leroy, give me that telephone. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gillsleeve. Never mind. Operator? Operator? Operator! That's the kind of service you get. Operator! When you want them, you can't get them. When you don't want them, they call you up. Operator, I pay good money every month for this. The darn thing. Uncle Mort. I won't have it in the house. Not again. This time I mean it, confound it. (laughs) There. Let me see you fix that, Leroy. What a character. Ladies.
Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say just a few words on behalf of an organization to which all of us owe our lives, our freedom, and our hope, hope of security, the United States Navy. On October 27th, each year, we celebrate Navy Day. This year, Navy Day will mean almost more than it ever has before, because our Navy is now the strongest naval power on this earth. The number of warships in the fleet has been almost tripled since 1939, and 30,000 naval planes are scheduled for delivery this year. 30,000 planes. I hope the Japs are listening. But though the Navy has done a tremendous job in this war and has the men and materiel to finish it, we mustn't think it's going to be easy. Navy officials estimate it will take at least a year and a half or two years to knock out the Japanese after the war in Europe is over. The Japanese are tough, ladies and gentlemen. They can still increase their production, and their army is not yet up to full strength. So it's up to us here on the home front to stand behind the Navy in the big job that's still ahead. And these are the ways we can help. First, stay on the job in Navy yards and factories. Second, we can maintain our Navy's high morale by writing to the men. Let them know we appreciate what they've done and are doing. But let's not write as if we expected the war to be over in a few months. Third, the Navy needs waves and nurses. Women between the ages of 20 and 36 can release Naval men for active duty. Just go to the nearest Navy recruiting office. Or if you're a registered nurse between 21 and 40, you can be commissioned as an ensign. For information on this, write to the Surgeon General at the Navy Department in Washington. The Navy needs our help, ladies and gentlemen. Navy Day is next October, next Friday, October the 27th, but we ought to make every day Navy Day till the war is won. If we stop and think how much we owe the Navy, I know we'll all be glad to do whatever we can. Good night. On this program was directed by Claude Sweet. And this is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft invites you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night it's Night Beat, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.